So, you know, I was talking to Tim earlier about uh, the night you saved my life. <laughs> yeah, I got to hear it. I want to hear it. <laughs> so you want the story? Want the story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Okay. I, I want to remember it. It's the only I reason it. I'm on here. <laughs> I don't know why. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> The Raw Knuckles podcast. Say hi to Tim Stapleton. He played with uh, Chris Bork over in Russia. Apparently, I know, I know Tim. I know Tim. Yeah, yeah. How, how long have you known Tim? Me? How long have you known Tim? Yeah. I've known Tim about a good, uh, what do we say, about yeah, two he, years, he Tim, hi- huh? He, well, he hired so I've me, known, you know, like I've a known Tim more, longer than you. Yeah. 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 How, how long ago was that, Tim? That was what, like... Well, six I mean, seven Kingston was probably yeah yeah kingston was like two years old yeah no like, no that was like kingston was yeah two two years one, old I, maybe yeah, yeah well apparently yeah. uh ray in talking to your son chris uh when he was up here at the nhl draft uh he said he was gonna leave russia and then stapes got traded to his team and he said i'm gonna stay because tapes stapes made it fun he said, uh, I, "I had a reason to stay." Now, Chris, he said he he made it fun for me too. We had a good, we had fun yeah. together. It was unfortunate, but yeah. All yeah, right, Sugar was, Ray. Uh, okay, uh, well, let's get going here, know. Sugar Ray. Well, Bubba we, Ray. Yeah, we we actually had, we had Thanksgiving together in Russia. We're yeah. looking for yeah. we're looking for yeah, Turkey we everywhere, and we couldn't find anything. So <laughs> we had to try to find the biggest chicken, and that was hard to find. Yeah. <laughs> Sugar Ray, 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 Bubba oh, Ray. Uh, welcome. Like I said, uh, l- listen, Knuckles, I, I want to go back and go back to your early days growing up in Montreal. And again, here I am, a kid from Boston, drafted by the Habs, a team you certainly grew up watching and loving. And me, um, y- you get drafted by the Bruins, a team I grew up watching and loving. Uh, what? How big a Habs fan were you growing up? I was a, a huge Habs fan. I um, I remember the first time I went to the Forum, uh, my dad took me, and I, it was in the bleeding seats all the way up, watching the Junior Canadians and uh, Tardif, who and uh, Bouchard, and all those guys. And, and the Forum was packed. I mean, it was... You know, the junior Canadians, uh, just that was my first experience in the forum. And I didn't to go, I didn't get to go to see uh, many games. Um, but, um, you know, Wednesday, Wednesday nights and Saturday nights, uh, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, Saturday and Wednesdays, we'd get to, to watch some games on TV. And I watched it all the time. And um, <clears throat> just, uh, you know, watching them through the years. And then when I was a certain age, old enough to, to kind of celebrate their Stanley Cups with my buddies, we'd end up going to the uh, to the parades downtown. We'd miss school and 
be about four or five of us. We'd take the bus and the metro and, and go downtown and be in the streets cheering you guys on. Uh, you know, that those, <laughs> what was it, four or five cups in a row? Yeah. The late uh, late 70s, you know, and, and I wasn't, I mean, I, I went to Boston in, uh, you know, 79, 80. So I'm talking 76, 77. And uh, just being a huge fan uh, till the end, till I, I went to Boston. You know, I I, I played hockey. Um, you know, when I had my uh, Hall of Fame speech, I thanked the Montreal Canadiens for making a young guy dream about playing in the NHL someday. And uh, I was very spoiled as a kid growing up, watching a great team. And, you know, um, just players just kept coming and, you know, it was such a, I mean, you know how, how tough it was to crack that yeah. lineup, regardless of how good or where you were drafted by the Canadians because of the depth and, and you know, the players that they had coming every year. So uh, with that, you know, they were so much better than, you know, pretty much 90% of the teams in the NHL, um, you know, and, and for a kid, it was, it was great growing up in Montreal and, and not only watching the Canadians and being a fan, but also being able to skate all winter long outdoors. You know, every street corner had a rink, had a baseball field, had a park, and, and every park had a, a hockey rink and a and another little rink just for, uh, you know, free skating. So all winter long, you, you'd meet up with your buddies every day um, and after school and obviously after homework, right? Yeah. Um, how, uh, uh, well, how, how was it for you? Like, I go back to the first time I skated. Like, I know I live here now. I know that I got a rink right up the end of the street. It freezes early and it stays late. It's, it's awesome. There's lights at night. You can skate. And I see why the, you know, hockey is so big in Canada because kids are out there all the time. They can skate. We don't have that in the States. Minnesota yeah. may be the closest thing. What I, the first time I ever skated, my father took me. I was five years old, and he took me on a in West Roxbury in a parking lot. There was a huge puddle in the parking lot, and it froze. And he that was the first time I ever skated. I, I wow. always say the puddle. I remember the puddle. I actually had a painting of it made for my dad, my because my mom was there, my siblings. Oh, blah, blah, blah. What what yeah. was the first time you ever stepped on the ice? Do you remember it? Yeah, for me, I lived in Saint Laurent on a street called Crevier Street. It was just uh, blocks after blocks of apartments, and um, and there was an open area right across from our apartment that, uh, in the summer, you could play baseball if you're a young kid, and in the winter, they'd put little boards up where, you know, that's where I started to skate. And my dad was in charge of the lights. They had uh, one pole with. Uh, you know, two sets of lights facing one way and the other two facing the other way. And my, my dad was in charge of opening and closing the lights every night during the winter. So all I would do is put my skates on in, in the apartment and walk across the street and skate. And I was probably four or five years old doing that. So that's where it all started for me. And then when I got a little older, uh, probably about, you know, a half mile from my house, there was a, uh, a park that had the bigger ranks with boards. And you know how it's set up in Montreal. Yeah. You have you have blue lines, you have a red line, you have nets, you have nets. Big, 
big yeah, mesh that. behind behind the net over the boards and we had penalty box and two benches and you know that's where i started to play on a team you know uh the termites it was called and i remember my first coach was a woman way back so we're talking you before know, 60, it was <laughs> 64 65 before you know women ever involved in hockey and it's weird i don't know how that happened but i just remembered uh, you know playing termites and this woman was coaching us and i just remembered you know one of my uh, to this day he's still one of my best friends where i met him playing on that team and we were the only two guys that scored goals for our team other than one other person uh that might have scored one goal so we is that your pal dominant. in new brunswick no, that's my buddy Sylvain and uh, Sylvain Drury in uh, Montreal. And then Alain, Alain, and actually I just visited Alain in Fredericton this past weekend. I surprised Fine. them um, with my wife and I and another couple. We we hadn't seen each other in almost three years because of COVID. And uh, we decided I fixed it up with his girlfriend to go up there and, and surprise, surprise him. him. And, and we, had, awesome. we had an incredible weekend. So we had fun, played two good rounds of golf. And Freddie Beach and uh, came back on Sunday. So uh, that was a lot of fun. And LA, I actually met LA when I was probably nine nine years old. But to this day, those two guys are my best friends from uh, from home, including uh, Ben, my buddy Ben. Uh, that was my high school gym teacher that ended up training me yeah. uh, from the age of 16 years old till the day I retired. And um, he's like uh, Rocky's trainer, you know, like yeah. Mick. That's, uh, that's what stuff. that looks like. So he's a very special guy in my life. So those three guys uh, are probably uh, my core guys uh, from uh, my childhood. Now, you know, God, I have an enormous amount of respect for you. I always have, I, uh, certainly as an opponent and as a teammate even more so. Um but going back uh, just to the, because of that, just because of that one night that 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 will real that would do it all. No, 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 not that one <laughs> night. And we'll get there. We're gonna talk about that one night. How you saved my life, right? And you did. <laughs> I almost drowned. <laughs> but I, I want to go back to them early years. And you're growing up. You're playing organized hockey. Twelve years old, the, the unthinkable happens, and you lose your mom, um, and she passed uh, from cancer. And how how difficult was that on you as a young boy to get through that? And was hockey kind of an escape for you at that time? Yeah, sports was a big escape. Um, you know, I I was always one. I mean, it, it's so hard. I mean, you know, I uh, my mom was sick for a long time, and um, I think I think my older siblings and obviously my dad and my mom's friends and all that stuff knew how serious and how sick she was for, you know, all those years. Um, but when you're a kid, you know, me and my brother were the only ones left at home at that time. And he was nine. I was just, I just turned 12 and you always think your mom's going to get better. And, you know, then at the end, people are starting to come visit her at the house and, you know, cause she, she can't get out of bed and she's, uh, you know, not doing that well. And then they're whispering about how, you know, wow, you know, how she looks and, and everything. And, but still you're, you're a kid and you're always optimistic and you're hoping that things, you know, are going to get better and all that. And obviously they didn't, she died in 1972. I think it was in February. 
Um, and that, it was, you know, it was very hard. Um, but I was always one to kind of look ahead and my glass was always half full from a young age. And, and, and I look back on all this and, and my younger brother, maybe not so much as me. And, and, um, so I, I moved, you know, I, I moved on and, and it was hard, but sports obviously was a big escape, I think, for all of us. And, and when it comes down to pretty much anything in our lives, I think sports is a, is a big escape. And that's where we feel the most comfortable. I was a very good baseball player, and that's what I did all summer long. And then hockey, obviously, you know, I was always uh, a really good player and, and started to separate myself from others probably at the age of 13 going forward and stuff like that. But that's where I felt the most comfortable I was always a very shy kid, um, you know, quiet, uh, you know, well-behaved and, and maybe a silent killer in some ways. You know, my friends, my closest friends uh, knew what I was all about and, and I could be funny and, and I could be uh, silly and I could be all those things. But you would never know that other than if you were one of my very close friends. You were close, yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really open up to all that many people and. And, uh, but in hockey, that's where I let it all out in sports. Um, you know, that's, again, that's where I felt the most comfortable once you open those doors and let me out on the ice or on the field. Uh, I excelled and I loved it and I was very passionate and, uh, very competitive, um, in what I did, uh, in those departments. So, um, so that, I, was, that I was shy. I was quiet till, you know, I mean, the first First year in Boston, I got to Boston. It was like Peter McNabb to this day still still tells people that I didn't speak English. And it's not that I, I grew up speaking both languages. My first friends were English. My parents were from the Maritimes, spoke both languages. Yeah. They had a whole bunch of friends, English friends. The TV was always in English. I went to French school, but it's not that I didn't speak English. I didn't speak. I just listened and watched. Yeah. And uh, whenever I ask, I just say, I'm just happy to be here. And, uh, and that was the case. How, who were some of your childhood, like, heroes, athletes that you looked up to, hockey guys? Well, for me, I was very lucky to, you know, to watch some great players. And, um, you know, obviously when I was very young, um, you know, I, I, I just remember stories about the Rocket. But for me, I saw Jean Beliveau, uh play, uh, you know, his last – I'm not sure how many years, but his the last part of his career, uh, you know, guys like Jean Beliveau, Yvon Cornelier, Jacques Lemaire, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, then those great teams with, you know, Dryden and Lafleur and Shutt and Mahovlich and Ganey and, you know, you just go up and down the list. And obviously for me, I was a defenseman. Um, and then for me, it was, you know, Larry Robinson, Serge Chabard and Guy Lapointe, the big three. Uh, those are pretty much the guys that I locked into and just love watching and, and not so much try to emulate, but um, just, you know, they could play any game, emulate in ways where, you know, okay, they weren't one, uh, there wasn't just one strength to their game. I mean, they could be uh, very skilled, they could be very physical, they could be very responsible, and they were all those things, uh, 
very consistently in their career. So for me, watching that kind of those three guys and, and, and trying to, to kind of, you know, be that type of player. Um, so those are the guys I kind of looked up to. Uh, and, and I mean, to go along with all the other guys that, that came up through the ranks with the Canadians. And, well, um, those D-men that you mentioned, Ray, and you certainly did emulate them, and you did pick up uh, something from all of them, no question about it, because certainly you had that all-around game, no question about it. But we go back, you drafted by Three Rivers, Berge, uh, the, the genius head coach and general manager, trade you to Sorrell, uh, and you have a hell of a junior career. And the 79 entry draft comes, and th- this, is, this is incredible how your life ends up, right? Where you end up in your life. And here it is. The Boston Bruins really want to take Keith Brown. Now, when I heard this the first time, I'm like scratching my head, really? It, it, it's hard to really – grasp that Harry Sinden wanted Keith Brown over you. Now what Keith was big, he was kind of solid player, but not close to what Ray Bork ended up being. Now it, it, they take Chicago takes Keith Brown and they more or less had to settle for Ray Bork. Boy, um your life could have been whole, a whole different thing you know going to Chicago instead of Boston and you end up in Boston and the rest uh, certainly is history but did you ever talk to Harry about that and did you know did that ever come up in any of the conversations yeah I had lunch with Harry uh, probably probably about three or four years ago at uh, he's uh, he's a member at the Bear at Bear Lakes and and uh, West Palm and uh you know, I had a fractional there, so whenever I'd be down, I'd I'd play uh, Bear Lakes and uh, would have you know lunch or run into Harry and, and all the GMs are all there, like you know Lou Nanny, Harry, uh, Tory was yeah. there, um, Francis. Uh, I mean, there must have been five or six of yeah. them, all members at the same place. So you know that uh, you know. The, the stories and everything that went on there. But yeah, I did speak to Harry about that and a few other things. And, but you know how that is. I mean, it's so hard to, and, and that's the year where the, it's a crapshoot at times. Yeah, right? and that's, that's Sometimes year, it's a crapshoot. That's the year where the, uh, the underage draft came back where because of the merger yeah. uh, in 1979, where four uh, WHA, you know, teams, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Hartford and Quebec, came into the NHL and, and the draft wasn't until August 4th that year. And, and now you're picking an 18, you know, 18, 19 year old kids. And now they were even drafting them earlier, 17 or 18 year old old kids. And you could only judge them against playing against, you know, junior kids. And I, I mean, I've never seen Keith Brown play in juniors and all that, but he must've been dominant. You know, if yeah. he was going seventh, he was going eighth. And if he was, you know, so, and you just look at the top of that draft with Ramage and all the great players that were drafted, and you could, you could make that argument in every draft you look back on, pretty much, uh, how certain guys just you know kind of excelled maybe more than they they were projected to, and 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 that's why when you know I speak to kids or whatever like that, you know, being drafted where you're drafted, yeah, it's great, but. 
that's the first step. That's the easy part. Then it's staying and, and earning your second contract and making a career yourself, regardless if you're first overall or last pick of the draft. And, you know, I look at guys like Andy Brickley or Louis Slager that were, you know, I think one of them or maybe two of them were last pick of the draft and had great NHL careers. Or we could talk about Tom Brady, you know, and where he was picked. So, yeah. Uh, but regardless of where I was going to be picked, um, I just felt I was ready to make the step and to jump in and, and, and make an impact uh, right off the bat. So, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, being drafted and, and at Three Rivers and, and, you know, going there and then getting that early experience about, you know, being traded. I was 15 years old when I went to Three Rivers and, you know, having an incredible first part of the year with Three Rivers and we're in first place. And then January 8th, you know, I had just turned uh, 16 on December 28th and, uh, and Bergeron calls me into his office. I'm uh, playing pool with uh, some friends on a Saturday night at their house, and I get a call to meet them at the rink at, you know, 8 o'clock on a Saturday night. I, I'm thinking nothing of it. Get there, and he tells me I'm traded to the last place team. And I was like, I was crying like a baby. And I was like, you know, I, I get to uh, my billet's house that first night. The um, the train, the uh Bergie brought me halfway to meet up with uh, Rodrigue Lamoine, that was the owner, GM, and sometimes coach of the uh, Sorrel Blackhawks because he fired his coach so often. And this guy was nuts. He was an, an intimidator <laughs> and an alcoholic. And I swear to God, he picks me up that night with his coach. He could hardly walk or talk. And I'm like, okay. Uh. So then I go to my billet's house and I'm rooming with two other guys. I'm in this single little bed that I have like four or five springs coming out and just pinching me all night long in my back. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I, uh, I actually, um, next day I had, tr I have, that's, that was the first year of midget AAA that had, they created a new league for all the top players in midget hockey. And I practiced with yeah. Black St. Louis all summer long. And I, you know, I was going to be a big part of that team if I didn't make three rivers. So if I didn't make three rivers, I was coming back to play my last year midget. So I made the team. So I stayed in three rivers. But then when I got traded and going through this and then being in that bed and that billet, I was like, get me out of here. I called my dad the next day. I said, dad, get me. I want to go play midget AAA. I said, I'm not playing here. You know, going from the first place team, an incredible situation, a great billet to going there, not knowing where I was going to be. So my dad, <laughs> the voice of reason, he says, Ray, just give it a week. You know, hey, let's give it a week and let's talk and see how uh, how you feel at the end of that week. Well, a week later, I um, I'm, they changed me in a really good billet. Uh, I'm, I'm with this teammate called Maurice Cayouette, and the Billet family's awesome. The house is great. And my teammates are incredible. We're in last place, but we got a tough team and a lot of young guys. And mm. Lucien Dubois was my yeah. captain that took, took me under his wing and took great care of me. Uh, so uh, at the end of that week, uh, there was no question I was. So not then going you anywhere, end up in Verdun. So. You, you, you get two years in Verdun. Yeah. 
Then the next year we move in Verdun, and then, you know, the Canadians practice there all the time. So I got front row seat uh, a lot of times to watching them practice at the auditorium so where we that played two years in Verdun and in that draft year where you're in 79 you get drafted by the bees okay you leave in junior i how i i guess what i want to say i remember coming and i'm 20 years old my draft was the last year of the 20 year old draft and i was scared shit going to training camp okay and you're sitting here telling me, oh, I know I'm ready to play in the NHL. You're fucking 18 years old. You're a kid. I, where does that freaking come? Listen, I get it. Talent. And you know you're talented. And you listen, you're always humble guy. I know that. But knowing in your own self, where does that confidence come from? Just from you on the ice knowing what you can do. And you can do it against men now. You were doing it against, boy, you know. A lot of young boys. Now you're playing against men. Where does that come from? Um, well, it's it, it's I, I I was always I humble, have. and I was always humble. I was always humble to the to the end because I thought if I wasn't, uh, it was going to bite me in the ass so bad. Um, I respected the game. I respected my teammates. I respected everything about the game. And I think I respected uh, everything about the game. And, and, and that came with my preparation, how I prepared, how I worked out. Uh, and when I look back on my career, this is how I, I say it. And, and that's why I think I had the success I was. Obviously, I had talent. And I call myself a blue-collar star because – it wasn't flashy. It wasn't, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, the incredible nice play was would happen every once in a while. But the subtle plays that you didn't see, and if you didn't know the game, you didn't realize how good I was. And and for me, it was all always about looking for perfection. And it was looking for perfection. When I say my glass was half full, it was looking for perfection in a constructive way. Not a destructive way because so many guys are looking for perfections and they could never, because I knew I could never reach it. But just having that kind of mindset made you the best you could be every day and how you train. Nobody's going to out train me. Like I'm frigging out, working out, doing my bike or my run or whatever. It could be pouring outside. It could be cold. It could be whatever. What I'm thinking about that day when I'm doing my work and I'm like, yes. I've got to jump on somebody because I know 90% of the guys would be in the house doing nothing right now with that weather. So that's my mindset about everything I was doing. I was looking for, for, for perfection and how I practice. I went out, I was, a, you know, I mean, I, I came in seeing, you know, Tara Riley and how he, the toughest, hardest working guy I've ever seen in my life was Tara Riley. Yeah. When I think about the Bruins and the, you know, what a Bruin is all about, Look him up in the, in the dictionary. Boston Bruin is Terry Riley's picture, you know. So I saw that from the beginning and all that. But I had a really good work ethic. But when you see that, and when you're surrounded by great players and and good veterans, and, and they're showing you the way, and and but I had a lot of that in me, you know, from the get go, and, um, and and I was never satisfied. It was never good enough. It was never good enough. But again, it was always a constructive way. When I became captain, you saw it, you felt it, how I was with the team. It wasn't it wasn't you or me or whatever. Yeah. It was us. It was always about the team. 
in a constructive way. I would never embarrass anybody. If I had to go one-on-one with you, it wasn't a good sign, and that would be done on the side. It would never be done in front of anybody. So, you know, as I, I can't believe what I came into. Like I said earlier, I was so shy and on the ice, open that door, let me out, no problem. Leading by example was the biggest thing. That was so easy. But then all of a sudden, you know, you, you fall into this leadership position, and then it's like, holy shit, I've got to talk to the team. So some what pressure with that, How right, am I going to do you? this? How am I not, how am I not <laughs> going to stutter? How am I not going to – I'm going to shit my pants. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> but then, yeah, it's like, you know um, – yeah, so it was something that was really hard for me when I was asked to be captain and transition into that thing. And one of the good things that was, that, that happened was, you know, I always looked up to the older guys, and Rick Middleton was the eldest guy on our team at that point. I had so much respect for Rick. I'm like, I can't be captain. Rick Middleton's on the team. And they're like, yeah, but I'm like, I don't know, guys. So then they say, well, what about if you guys are co-captains? And we were co-captains for two or two and a half years, and it was a perfect way to kind of transition into that leadership role, to have Nifty. And, and you know, it's not just one guy yeah, on, a, on a team. If you only have one guy as a leader on a team, yeah. you're done. It's a handful of guys, you know, that you kind of lean on and you rely on, you talk to, and how we're going to address things and how we're going to come up with solutions. And you're going to have a handful or six, uh, you know, five, six guys leading the way because then people follow. And, and your best and your leaders have to be your best people and how they prepare, how they they do everything. And if you have that, you're in business because now it's a positive, constructive way to follow and to lead and to do your thing. And if you have that mindset, you're going to have success if you have a decent team and you're going to have great chemistry that is so important as well. So for me, that was my whole mindset that allowed me, you know, not to go to big slumps or, yeah, you know. You have your tough times, but that perseverance to find a way to get out of the shit uh, that you have to deal with sometimes. Um, you know, always believed in myself, even if sometimes, you know, there's a couple of dark times where, you know, people don't realize, but people that are close to you know. Um, and you just find a way to kind of get through it. And those are your beliefs that you have, you fall back on, uh, you know, the... Um, the fundamental, the fundamentals of the game, the fundamental thoughts that you have that made you and allowed you to have that kind of success. Did you have any uh, getting drafted by Boston? Was that was there any like additional emotion to that? Like, did you hate Boston growing up? Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you a story about uh, the 1979 uh, semifinals Ooh. where. Well, Max, you're you're. I don't know if you're part of the uh, the Black Aces or what at that time. Um, my did you get my some first games with year was seventy nine eighty, and we lost to Minnesota okay, that year, so. Game Seven. They were going for five in a row. Okay, the year so the before, year, the, I the didn't come before, my rookie yet. Okay, so you were you were you were in yeah. Nova Scotia then, yeah. though, right? Okay, so I'm. I'm playing for the Verdun Blackhawks and the Memorial Cups in Verdun that year. So uh, I go to the final game. That is the night of the seventh game. Too many of, men on uh, the ice. The Bruins right? and Canadians, too many men on the ice. And, 
You know, they're up three, Bruins are up 3-1 in the third period. You know, too many men. Uh, Guilafleur makes an incredible shot off the post, beats Jojo Bear and scores, and it goes into overtime, and Yvonne Lambert puts it in with a pass from Trombley going to the post and all that. So I'm in Verdun watching the Memorial Cup that night, watching the Brandon Wheat Kings, Brad McCrimmon's team, Prop, Allison, all those guys against the uh, Peterborough Peets that is uh, Keith Crowder's team. That I say those names because we end up playing together in Boston. So um, I'm watching the finals. Brandon wins. So I'm on my way back. So I catch, you know, the last part of the Montreal game too, but I'm taking the bus back to St. Laurent now from Verdun because I, I don't have a license. I don't have a car. I don't drive. So I'm taking the bus, and it takes me right in front of the forum. That water is one of my connections. So I get out of the bus, and I'm right in front of the forum. I'm like, fucking right. We fucking beat the Bruins again. And, you know, three months later, I'm, uh, or freaking a month later, I'm going to Boston, right? And uh, so, so, you know, August the heartbreak for me. The, the heartbreak for me, right? I'm yeah. Listen, I was. Well, I don't know who you're I was then, No, but, I was drafted. I was still in college at you. But I was drafted, 78, okay. and I was still in college. I stayed that one more year. And I watched with my family in the backyard. I was fucking devastated when that <laughs> fucking flying Frenchman come down the fucking wing. I yeah, hated yeah. him. I hated him. They tied it, and then it's over. And I'm heartbroken yeah, again. Yeah. And you're happy as a pig and shit. But that changes pretty yeah, soon. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, no, we'll that get changes. into that. Uh, at, the draft, <laughs> at the draft, it changes all right there, so – and and then okay so then it changes then i go to boston and i make the team and you know i mean then i rookie of the year exhibition the trophy right first year yeah rookie of the year first team all-star first non-goalie to do that and which is incredible and you said you were ready ready for the nhl and you fucking proved it so yeah i was ready and then uh you know then then, you know, things go great, but, you know, then I, I got to play against Montreal and inform. And whenever I play Montreal, I'm not playing my best because you know how it is. You put so much pressure on yourself and you're playing at home in front of family, friends, and uh, you, guys you watch, you know, for uh, six, seven years that you looked up to. And so to kind of get used to, you know, that kind of setting took a little bit of time. Plus, you know, I'd go home in the summers every year then, and we could never beat Montreal in the summers. So my friends and everybody would give me a hard time, like, oh, what happened? <laughs> if I can name you lost again, I'll be you again, and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Ray, before, before we oh. get there, I want to go to that. And, and, and it, it, it did suck for you guys. because And listen, I'm on the other side of this, and I've seen it, and now I'm part of it. And and I'm like, there's times I actually felt bad for some guys, and you're one of them, and O'Reilly was the other because O'Reilly's a guy I fucking looked up to. I grew up loving that guy. Like you said, he's everything a Boston Bruin is. But all right, that being said, I, I want to go back to that second year, not because of what I did, but because of what happened to you. And it kind of fucking shook me. It shook your team, and I think it shook everybody in the building that night when you got – Coming on the ice, and you got hit with a fucking slap shot in the head. Some idiot was on my team, was icing the puck, and hit you right in the so fucking that was, eye. Yeah. And I'll that never was forget third it. Year. That was a third, third year because I remember. I'm, no, no, it was second a second year. year. Yeah, Sorry. I thought it was your second. Yeah. 
No, it was the third year because my wife was in Boston. 81, 82. Yeah. It was, it was uh, 82, 83 because okay. I got married in 82, June of 82. So, so last last exhibition game in Montreal, oh. we're in a power play, and there's a bad pass that are made out of our zone. So it's not a nice thing, but almost. So Robert Picard gets to the puck and slaps it down the ice, and I'm skating towards the bench, not even – watching a play and it catches me right up here right under right under the helmet and uh i as i get hit i'm almost at the bench so now i'm leaning on the bench and the trainer's got a you know a rag that i'm bleeding so so then we go across the ice to the montreal dressing room and the doctor's stitching me up and i'm touching my forehead and i'm like oh shit i got this doesn't feel good. It, Mush. I feel an indentation, Ugh. a whole indentation going down my friggin' forehead like Frankenstein or something like that. So he says, yeah, I says, uh, we'll send you to the hospital for x-rays. So I go for x-rays and I have a whole, I have a fracture, a fractured sinus. So my whole forehead here is, is crushed. So it's all in like little pieces. So the next morning I have surgery. And I, I stay in the hospital for four days at the Mass uh, Montreal General. And who comes to visit is Nux comes to visit me a couple of times in the hospital in Montreal. So I never, uh, never forgot that. Of all and people, you guys, you guys didn't know each other? Honestly, you didn't know yeah. each other? I, I, we didn't know each wow. other. No, just yeah. playing against each other for that, you know, one or two years there. Um, and for me, but you showed, you know, you, you, that was very classy and a really nice uh, gesture on his part. And we sat and talked and hung out for a while, a couple of times. And you know what that made me think of Nux is, were you playing with uh, the Canadians? Yeah, yeah. You were, I think when Jean Amel got yeah. the stick in front of our bench yeah. and was in a mass general for a few yeah. days in Boston. And I went to visit Jean Amel because, you know, I never forgot that gesture yeah. that, what Nux uh, did with me. So. And even though it was your hometown, uh, it, for me, it yeah. was like when you got hit, I'm telling you, when you, the fucking whole building goes, uh, like the whole building friggin' gasped because it was that loud. You could hear it. It never went down, though. It no, never went you didn't, down. <laughs> you didn't go down. But but honestly, like I, I thought there's a chance. Here's Ray Bork, this great young player, fucking rookie of the year, all this. And, you know, it, his career could be over. And I was like, I, I couldn't yeah. believe it. When I came in the hospital and looked at you, I'm like, fuck, you know, look. Yeah, it was uh, pretty yeah, bad. It didn't look good. Anyway, um, so um, we do that. But that was, that was, that was six weeks. Yeah. That was only six weeks. Uh, you know, yeah, that would put a fucking baseball player off for the season. <laughs> no question about it. But, but so th that whole Boston experience and we'll talk to you, but like I said, during those years, those 90s, and, and beating the Bruins and always getting in line, and I remember getting in line. And believe me, I'd rather be on the winning end, but there were times I'd go through that line, shake your hand, uh, and shake Terry's when he was in it. And and he, you know, I could see the fucking pain and the agony, like, oh, again, these oh, yeah. fucking assholes. But a lot of times, if, if we can be fair here, did, did you feel like your team at times – overdid the fucking rough, tough thing and, and kind of got themselves in trouble, penalty-wise? Um, possibly, yeah. I mean, but, you know, that was our, our, our identity, you know. I mean, if we didn't play that way, 
You know what a Bruin is. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and hey, we finally, you know, possibly, you know, got more discipline in 87, 88, you know, in those play in that playoff series to go along with having a good team um, to, to kind of crack that bubble finally, you know, but, but I always felt that we overachieved, you know, as a yeah. team. Um, I felt like we were one or two players away from being, you know, so competitive and being better and really having a great opportunity to compete for a cup. And, and it never, it never happened. And, uh, you know, we got to the finals in 88 and, you know, we match up to Edmonton and no contest, Yeah. you know, but then in 90, you know, Gretzky's not there. We have a different team. We pick up a couple of guys that I thought that year we were, you we were ready to really compete. And, and it was so disappointing in both finals that we didn't even come close. We won one game and two finals. So that was very disappointing. But going back to your point, Somewhat, yes, but I think if we, you know, if we didn't play play that way, you know how it was to come into the garden. Yeah, I mean, you have to be freaking, you have to be ready to play. You know, right. You and how many teams were you know tough enough or uh, brave enough to to go out and play and do what they needed to do to beat us in that building? And um, so, yeah, you know, no, it's, I hear yeah, you. It's I hear a you. Fine line. It's a fine line. You know, it is, and I um, know that. Right. But the identity was, you know, the, the, you know, it wasn't so, it wasn't so big, bad Bruins uh, as, as things kind of evolved and went on, but still, you still kind of look at the Bruins as, you know, there's got to be some grit there. And, you know, and, and the, the big thing is, you know, we weren't going to be outworked or, you know, you know, and, and all that. So. Tim, you would have loved playing in the fucking Boston Garden. It was like a matchbox, <laughs> right? You would have had no Shooting room whatsoever. No, incredible. Like, it was a small, small rink. Have you, like, th think about with your talent, being a playmaker and all that, you didn't have a whole lot of fucking time when you got the puck. Man, yeah. I, it's like, yeah, I, 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 I would have been pretty and, good. And, and really, and really good vision. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But, but Knox, you say those lines, you know, just going through there all the time and being from Montreal, you know, the guys were, you know, I, I always remember Larry just grabbing me and, you know, being a fellow defenseman and, and getting to play with him in the Canada Cup and getting to know him and how great a guy and, and teammate and leader he is and just him just grabbing me and, and the line and, and giving me a little extra you know, talk and and then I just remember going through the line in two thousand one where I was the I was finally on the winning side. Yeah. You know, uh how that that was a funny funny chat. It was more or less like finally Well you know I guess finally and and, and I wanted to get into that whole thing. You're in Boston all those years and you said it just here. Do you think and and listen Harry was perceived to be by the other owners and general managers as fiscally responsible by, I think by the players stance, he was kind of cheap now. And, and, and you being there all them years. And we always felt like, yeah, if they had an, another player or two, especially back on, you know, maybe one back on D to take a little heat off of you. And then, 
up front also, it seemed like he never wanted to spend the money to get over the hump. They're always just getting yeah. by, like scraping by, scraping by instead of really going for it. Did you feel that in your career? Oh, yeah. No, we all so, we all felt it, you know. Yeah. And um, Harry, I, I thought Harry, I have a lot of respect for Harry. I think he was an incredible GM and 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 how he he was always competitive. And But then again, I think if you ask him, you know, yeah. He could, uh, you know, we've talked about this too, and and a player away, or, or when I, the Bruins had a party when it went in 2011, yeah, and and I was invited. It was all for, it was for all the workers that worked inside the garden and and all that, and the cup was there, and you know Dale Hamilton was there, and yeah. and Mary, and and you know Harry and all that stuff, and so. You know, I, I got to chat with Harry, and and I knew exactly how it was going to be if the Bruins ever won the Cup. Because after living in in Colorado and seeing the parade and the celebration and the parties with the Cup and just the fun with the guys and everything and and how the town, you know, was going to go crazy, and it was exactly what I thought, or if not more. Um, you know, they broke record record numbers for crowds going to the parade and. Um, and I knew, and I, you know, I was like Harry and talking to Harry that night when at that party and it's like, fuck Harry, you know, the one thing I, I just, I just wish I got to live this, you know, just once in Boston. And, and he says, you know what, Ray says, that's on me. And yeah, that's incredible. And again, stand up guy always, he has been, um, but for him to say that, I think, yeah, that's incredible. It says a lot about him uh, as a human being, as a man, no question about it. Um, so, yeah, we go through that whole thing, Boston. You know, the, you know, some of the guys in the league weren't happy because you kept settling for less money. They wanted you to push the fucking envelope. I went, I went to arbitration. I went to arbitration. Right? I know you and did. That's why I went to arbitration. And I, okay, I what I was going to say with Harry so Harry was good and, and, and all that, and he had ways to put teams together and, and you know, being responsible and all that. But then once the salary start, Harry could not accept a new NHL. And right, he couldn't. He always said that it was going to ruin the league, it's going to put the league out of business. He could not accept what he was seeing being done. And I, I paid the price for that. Yeah. And you know what? And Harry was smart. He always came to me. Early in my in my contracts, before my contract was done, he'd come to me and something would look good, you know, for a year or two. But then it was like, once it started changing, things were blowing, guys were blown by me like friggin', like the autobahn, you know. Yeah. And it was like it was crazy. And then it was like, hey, okay, this is enough. Uh, I went to arbitration, and then still got screwed in arbitration. You know, asking for four million, being a franchise player. I walked out of that place. Their guy was Bertucci that just friggin' was amazing. My my guy was fine, but he got blown out of the water. He made me feel when I walked out of there is, oh, my God. Like you do a shitty player? I'm not, I'm just an and you don't deserve player. it? Yeah. So yeah, I'm asking for $4 million. What a setup for three. And then the arbitration. They're, the Bruins are offering 1.7. The arbitrator gives me two wow. 2.25. And, and I hear this the night before opening night at Madison Square Garden against Rangers. So, 
before I hear, I put a thousand bucks on the board. Then I get a call from my agent just before warm up. I go get the call and he tells me, I'm like, okay. So then, you know, go into Rome, say, hey guys. And what, so what was the most you played with, you made with the Bruins the final year? Six million. So you finally, but to get that, you had a couple. to get that, um, I was making four. I was making yeah, right around four, and then guys are guys are making now six and whatever. Yeah. So I told my agent, um, I said, I've had it. Um, I said I'm going to talk to the Bruins myself. Is it, was that in 2000? Before you got, uh, got moved, that was uh, ninety, maybe ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine, ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah. So that this was the before the season. Yeah, before the ninety eight season, and um, Michael Connell and uh, Harry Sendin and I'm like just. More or less, we were going to talk about a long-term. They thought we we're talking about a long-term post-career contract, and they're throwing stuff out there. I'm like, oh my fuck! Mm-hmm. All right, and I said no. <laughs> I said so. I get up and I just, I mean, I'm almost in tears now when I'm telling them that hey, I've had it. I mean, what I've done, how I've done it. You're there 20 years. The guys, the guys oh. that are making this and that, and some guys can't friggin' hold my jock strap. And I said, I've had it. I've had it. I'm done. I'm done. I said, if I don't get $10 million over the next two years, so I'm, I'm done. I, I've had it. I mean, you could pay me a million dollars this year and nine the next. You could pay me. You could split it up any which way you want. If I don't get $10 million over the next two years, so I fucking I've had how it. How does so you say you've had it and what happens and how does the trade? So Harry, come about? Harry's Harry's there and it's like took him about five minutes and uh, he said, um, "Yeah, I think we could do that." I'm like, so, "You're fucking kidding me, <laughs> prick!" So, so those last two years in Boston, '98. You make the ten million. Finally, so make, get paid. Some I make dough. four. I make four, and then I make six, and then I sign. Uh, you know, then I get another two years at six with uh, Colorado. I only wanted one year. I left six million. But how's that? How's that come about? You you're not in the playoffs in ninety nine two thousand. Things aren't looking good for the team. Do you go and say, Harry, listen? I want a chance at winning the cup. Is that what happened? Well, the first time we didn't make the playoffs, um, I almost asked to be traded. I knew Detroit was very interested, and I, and and a team should never be that bad in Boston. Um, yeah, and we were really bad. And um, I talked to my family, and you know, and my wife, and she was all in, and. Then it comes to crunch time, and I'm like, Chris, you ready? Like, I, I'm thinking about doing this seriously. Then she goes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. She does so, not want to leave. So I'm like, okay, I got it. So I don't do it. I don't do nothing. And then we we kind of get good again. We make the playoffs. We get guys, you know, 
Temp Taylor. We get a we get probably a handful of guys. Pat Burns comes and coach, and he kind of we kind of revive the situation for a couple of years, and then we get bad again. Now we're friggin' now it's like it's just cancer. Guys, not you know just a team that oh man it's sucked yeah, not good. I can't I can't do nothing about it. I can't all kinds of shit going on, and we're not good. We're just not good, you know, and. Now I'm like, hey, and I'm 38 years old. And I'm going to the rink and, you know, knocks me at the rink. I was like, I brought it. I brought energy. Yeah. I had fun. And it was always, yeah. you know, let's go. Come on. And then it was just like, oh, I couldn't. The energy and the passion. And it was like, just, I just, it was eating me up, you know, bringing it home, just miserable and just not having any kind of fun that, you know, that's not me. So, so you went to Sam. So I talked and, again. And, and did you have one yeah. or two teams you're looking at? Again, or? again, How's that? again. I talked, you know, to my wife, and now she's all in. Now there's no doubt. It's like she's pissed. I'm pissed, and it's like, and you know what? I'm 38, and it's like, yeah, it might be the end. You know, maybe it's just yeah. friggin' I'm, I'm starting to suck. <laughs> And, and it's going to be like one of those Marcel Dion things. Yeah, I don't want great career. Yeah, but but everybody says, oh well, he had a great career, but no, it's always but. And that but just burned my butt so much. You know, it's so bullshit. I mean, so many great yeah. players, you know, have not won the cup, and it's it's so much more to do other than them. You know, but it's unfortunate. But that's what it yeah, is, right? That's what people do. They say, but. But but then I you know then I want to leave for two reasons is to get in this uh, a competitive situation and also to see if hey do I have anything left in the tank if I get into a better situation so I remember Christopher was uh, we were uh, he had a uh, he was going to Governor Governor Dummer for a. Uh, an interview to go there because my daughter was already going there and we were in the middle of the interview. I had left Harry a message. He was at the GM's meeting in Florida and I had left him a message to call me that I needed to talk to him. So in the middle of that meeting, he calls me. So I step out for about 10 minutes and I'm like, guys, I got to take this call. And I tell Harry, Harry, I mean, you know, the situation we suck and, and I'm, yeah, I'm sucking too. And uh, I, I want to, I, I want to go somewhere where, you know, a healthy situation and a team that has a chance to win the cup. And, you know, and I don't want to go out west. I want to stay in the uh, Eastern Conference. I, I'm in the middle of building our dream house in Topsfield, and you know, and and I want to be able to come back when the schedule would allow me to do that, to see the family and see the project and all that stuff. And, and, you know, when I look at the Eastern conference, Harry, I want to go to Philly. I want to go to Philly. That's where I want to go. So, okay. Ray says, um, I understand. And I'm at the meetings and I'm going to start talking. I'm going to start talking to people. And I knew and Reggie Lemlin was a goalie coach for Philly. So, and he was in with Clarkie and he told Clarkie, Hey, Ray asks, go to Philly and that's where he wants to go. And now Clarkie wants me and he's making a big pitch and everything. And I'm hearing everything on their side, what's going on. And then, you know, Harry's like, yeah, you know, um, you know, then I hear, you know, Detroit, St. Louis, New Jersey, um, 
are in the mix. And I get a call from Dave Ellett that's in St. Louis asking me if I'd go to St. Louis. I'm like, no, I'm not going to St. Louis. <laughs> then, I get a, then I get a call from, uh, from uh, I'm having dinner one night with my agent and Steve Casper and his wife and our wives. And uh, René Angelil calls me, yep. Celine Dion's husband. <laughs> And he's best friends with Pierre Lacroix, the GM. So he says, uh, Hey, Ray Raymond, how are you? This is Ray Angelil. Do you remember me? Uh, we played golf together that one time there. He says, uh, I hear that uh, you might uh, be traded. And uh, yeah, Pierre Pierre does not does not know I'm calling you. I'm just heard this. And I'm just saying that Colorado... Uh, would be a, a really, really uh, a good, 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 good place for you. And Pierre doesn't know I'm making this call, but I, I think that would be the place with you and Pierre and, and all those guys. <laughs> okay, Rene, I said, hey, I said, thanks. You know, uh, I don't know where I'm going. I, 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 you say, you hope to see you again sometime and say hi to Celine. <laughs> you sound just like him. It's unbelievable. Awesome so, impression. I knew awesome. Colorado was in the mix, and Pierre, you know, gave him the friggin' number to call me and, and everything. So, um, so Dan, you know, I we're playing Philly, a Saturday afternoon game. Reggie's telling me now the morning of the game, he says, Ray, it's a done deal. He says, you're coming with us after the game. I'm like, great. So now I go to the game. I'm on, you know, last game and my last shift, I'm on the ice and the puck's just trickling to me. And so the buzzard goes, I pick up the puck, I go see the guys. Then I go in the room and now I'm, I'm waiting and I'm like, okay, where the fuck are you, Harry? I'm like, come on, Harry. And then nothing. That oppresses in my friggin' face. Hey, Ray, you're hearing it is. I hear now. Hey, guys, I, I can't say nothing. I don't know nothing. And, you know, if anything ever happens, you know, we'll talk. So you don't go. So now, nothing. Now I'm calling Harry. I go up to his office. He's not there. I'm calling him, leaving a message, leaving a message, leaving a message. I'm like, Reg, what the fuck? He says, ah, I don't know. It's supposed to be a done deal. I'm like, well, I hear nothing. Harry finally calls me uh, Saturday night, and uh, he says, um, I said, Harry, I said, what's going on? He says, you know where I want to go. He says, well, Ray, he says, uh, there's other teams in a mix. I'm like, you know where I want to go? He says, yeah, but. He's going to do he the says, best Ray, thing for Boston, Ray, right? I, I know that, but there's other teams in a mix. He says, uh, stay home. Don't come to practice tomorrow on Sunday. And if it's not done tomorrow, it says, uh, don't come to the rink on Monday. We're playing Ottawa Senators. So I um, I don't come in. Nothing's done. Now, Harry, you know, fuck, I'm like, now my wife's looking at <laughs> the Detroit schedule, the Colorado schedule, the, um, the St. Louis schedule, New Jersey schedule. Philly schedule just to see, you know, what's the rest of the season like and, you know, for visits or whatever. Or, yeah. And uh, then Patrick calls me, says, Hey, the guru, come on. Hey, you, you're going to, you're going to have to yeah. come to Colorado. And then and I'm like, hey, Pat, I said, that's not where I want to go. I said, I don't know where I'm going. I said, we'll see. So then um, 
you know, Monday comes around, nothing, nothing. Now I'm watching the game and, you know, about to watch the game. And uh, Dave Andrewchuk calls me. He says, Ray, he says, they just pulled me off the ice and warm up. I said, they didn't tell me anything, but I think uh, wherever you're going, I'm going. I'm like, well, I, I have no clue. I said, I don't know what's going on. He says, uh, you know, we'll see. So then Harry calls me at the end of the third period and he says, uh, uh, you just made the trade. Uh, you're going to Colorado. Uh, I'm like, okay. So. Now, now, are you, listen, you're happy you got traded, but are you really happy going to Colorado? I mean, out of all teams, you know, I mean, if I was going to go out West, I think Colorado's a team, you know, I, I mean, I've never played with so many French guys in my life, even growing up in Montreal. Uh, I mean, yeah. and the whole organization, and I knew a lot of guys. So for that, it was good. Um, so then, you know, Pierre Pierre calls me and uh, welcomes me and tells me, you know, we're going to send a plane out for you and Dave. Dave Andrewchuk came with me. It was for me and Dave. This is, uh, you know, Plane's going to pick you up. You're going to fly out at 7 o'clock. Uh, they're playing the next night in Calgary. So then um, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, set up a press conference at uh, 6.30 at Logan Airport the next morning. Um, and then, uh, you know, Patrick calls me from Calgary, and he has Dave Reed in the room, uh, Sean Podine, um, uh, Joe Sackick and uh, Adam Foote, and they're all passing the phone around. And let's ah, <laughs> be great. Well, and it's come, like, come on, let's go. You know, <laughs> come on, get your ass here. Let's go. We gotta go here. And it's like so. It was you know. But the next morning, we're in this. Dave and I have all our shit. We're uh, our equipment, our sticks, our luggage, and all this stuff. And it's like a freaking little jet. And we're this is all stuck. And we're in the back in the back seat, and our and Dave's six four, you know. I'm six, but okay, five eleven three quarters. But um, he's crunched in the back. And now we you know we're flying to Calgary. We stop in uh, Kansas City uh, to gas up, and then then we go to uh, then we go to Denver. And oh my God, press conference, you know, a little bite to eat, freaking half hour nap, and you know, I had to go to the I had to the rink. It must have been four o'clock. Uh, walk in. You know, walk in that dressing room in Calgary, and that's and my jersey's right there as you walk in. Right oh, I had to feel weird. Like, oh, had to feel weird. Yeah, this is different. So um, it didn't take long. First period, I just remember stepping out from behind the net, and Hey Do crosses, comes across the ice a little bit in our zone, and just finds that little gap. I fire a pass right on the stick. He fires one to Joe that's up across the blue line, goes in on a breakaway and scores. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I think this is going to be fun. Yeah. And then just watch. Well, it ends up being fun. Forsberg, right? Yeah, you Forsberg, Sackick, you know, Drury, uh, Haydu, uh, Tange. <laughs> I mean, it was. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Fin you finished that season out, right? 14 games. And then you come back. And it's funny. Ray, and I, I got to say this because you're always fucking on the ice, all, a ton of ice time all the time. And we always hear people say, and you heard the analysis talking about, well, you know, Ray's older now. We got to, you know, you got to settle him down. You can't 
play him as much. You got to, you know, watch him, watch him. I watched you right to the end there in, in that last game seven. And fucking, they did not take the foot off the pedal on you at all. It's like, and it's funny, coaches get in that situation, right? I think. And they look down the bench. Oh, okay, now we got to kill a penalty. Oh, well, we like to rest Ray, but we can't. No, no, the power play comes. We like to rest Ray, but we can't. You got no rest. I was. I averaged the most minutes played out of anybody <laughs> in my last year at 40 years old in the NHL. It was 27-something, I think. But but they couldn't, Nux. They couldn't. I wouldn't let them. I wouldn't allow it. And that's why yeah. I didn't go back. Yeah. The next year, I had another $6 million after I won the cup. I had another year. I asked for a one-year deal with Pierre. He gave me a two-year deal. I said, give me another year at, at $6 million. He says, no, I'm going to give you the first year at five and six the second year. And if you don't play, I'll give you a million dollars. I'm like, okay, there we go. But I had no intentions. My wife, I told her, I said, this is it. Regardless, win or lose, this is it. Um, and Not many guys play their last game. And walk off the ice at a Stanley Cup. I'm so happy it happened for you, honestly. And then coming back to Boston, what's that like? You get 20,000 people fucking show up. I mean, that shows you what Boston's all about and their affinity for you and their love for Ray Bork. Yeah, well, I came back the first year after losing game seven to uh, to, uh, Dallas. And I remember just coming back where everybody I'm running into saying, oh, my God. We had a blast watching you. We followed you out there. You kept us up late at night. and But, oh, my God, that was awesome. And then coming back after winning the cup was even crazier. And the mayor, you know, the mayor wants to have a celebration in Boston, wants me to bring the cup back in Boston. My agent, Steve Fryer, I'm like, are you crazy? I said, I'm not doing that. I said, I don't want to embarrass the Bruins. It was kind of like sticking it in their face, right? Did they feel that way? Yeah, well. No, he, he says, what about if the Bruins sign off on it? I'm like, that would be the only way I'd do it. So he calls the Bruins. Michael Connell says, yeah, we don't have a problem with it. So I do it. Then I hear Harry's friggin' super <laughs> pissed. Yeah, Mike said, okay, but Harry was friggin' bullshit. Ooh, uh, but, ooh. you know, 10,000 people showed up, and nobody's welcome back like that, you know? And it's just the relationship and respect I think we had uh, – for each other, you know, the fans realize and, and realize the situation, knew why I left. I always said I would never leave. I never thought I would leave. And I wasn't and it wasn't yeah. gonna I wasn't gonna leave for a cup, but I had to leave to see if what I had left and, and by doing that you want to get in a healthy situation and compete again. It had been, you know, 10, 10 years. Well, we had some success there early 90s where we get to the semifinals or a couple of rounds or whatever. But it had right. been, you know, seven years, six, seven, eight years. Uh, you got it done. You yep. got it done, Raymond. The name is on there. Incredible feeling. And, uh, the name that was missing is on there. That's awesome stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was talking to Tim earlier about uh, the night you saved my life. <laughs> yeah, I got to hear it. I want to hear it. So you want the story? story? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for it. <laughs> okay, I, I want to remember it. The I only forget reason it. I'm on here. <laughs> I don't know why. So, so we um, at that time we're not we're not going too good, and Knox is, you know, I mean, there's there's stuff happening with the lineup, and we're in San Jose, and I, I think this is the first time you're a healthy scratch, right? 
in, yep. in your career. Yeah. So we're playing in San Jose and we're staying in San Francisco. And the night before, the Friday night, we uh, we go out for dinner, a good bunch of us, and then we go to this lose blues uh, for a couple of drinks after dinner. And this place is a phenomenal place. And we awesome. end up leaving, but I'll tell you, it was so hard to leave <laughs> and to come in for curfew uh, because the place and the atmosphere and the fun that we were having. So we go back, and then the next day, you know, we go to practice, and, you know, then Knox is out of the lineup. And, you know, we play San Jose, and I think we won the game. They were awful, I think, back then. Um, and But Knox, Knox starts drinking, like, I don't know if it was before the game, but all game Barely. long, and he comes in the room afterwards, and, oh, he's he's well on his way. I'm like, fuck, Knox, what's going on? Oh, fuck them, oh, fuck them, like, fucking Milbury. And then, I, 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 Jesus, Jeff, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kick the shit out of him. And so, so I'm like, all right, let's go. Come on, we're going to go out. So we go out, a good bunch of us, we go to this bar in San Fran. And, you know, I, I don't even think we ate because after the bar, I had everybody come back to my room. We ordered pizza and drank some more, and it was like late. And so, Nux, it, it's time to go to bed, Nux. So I bring him to his to his room, and he's struggling big time to walk. And I'm like, so I put him in bed, take all his clothes off, fold his clothes, put him in bed, and just he's good, good to go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So I go back up, see the boys, and I'm like, we're drinking, we're playing cards, and I'm like, fuck, I'm going to go check on Nux. So I go check on him. He's fucking passed out in the shower. The shower's frigging coming on him. There's about three, four inches of water in the tub. And I'm like, what the fuck? Nux, Nux, Nux. Try to wake him up. So get him out of the friggin' tub, friggin' wipe him down, <laughs> put him back into bed. And like the next day, he says, oh, What yeah. the fuck? What happened last night? I have no fucking clue. No, I'm not. It's like, So. Oh, I'm telling like, you. I woke up in the morning, everything's hung up. I'm, uh, I Jesus, went to bed early. This. <laughs> like, everything's. <laughs> so then then, oh, then, then the next day I'm, I'm not going to say the whole thing but the next uh, day there's you know we have a day off in, uh, in, in San Fran so uh, there's like six of us that go watch uh, the 49ers against the uh, Detroit Lions and Sanders was playing with the Lions at the time and some guys are going to see wineries I think Nux was going to see wineries with a limo <laughs> Or something. Some other guys yeah, go. The boys. Other guys go boating, but we're all going to meet back at the Lose Blues <laughs> bar that we were in the Friday night. <laughs> oh, we, and, and there's more stories there that cannot be told. That you don't even know. But, they, but I was dancing. And I elbowed a few people. But intentionally, in intentionally elbowed somebody. Shocker. Yeah, it was just an accident. An accident. It was a really good. It was a really good song. It was a howl, though. And, it, hey, Tim, and funny, too, and we didn't even touch on it, but I remember I come back. Here I am, get traded from the Rangers to the Bruins, and I come and, um, 
you know, Ray, I remember before my first game, I was so friggin' nervous, Tim, that the Bruins fans, when I was in there with Montreal, everybody yelling, <laughs> Nyland sucks, Nyland sucks. So I'm nervous yeah. the first game coming out. I'm like, all right, they're going to accept me home. And Ray's there, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? Settle down. Come on, what's wrong with you? I mean, I feel like they, you know, I don't know what's going to happen when I go out there. And Ray says, listen, they are going to welcome you like you don't know. And remember that night yeah. how nervous I was and you were, you calmed me down and you, you said, you're <laughs> like a fucking rookie again, relax. And it was hilarious. And I come out and I'm telling you, it felt good to be accepted by my, my people. That's awesome. You know, it would have been, it would have been so much fun to see you uh, play there longer and earlier. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You. It was definitely, it would have been uh, a different thing altogether for sure. But uh, yeah, so good memories. I, I was mentioning to Tim too. Tell us about the play. Remember Tim? I took, Every play, the Bruins had this thing at the beginning of the game. You yeah, win the yeah, face-off to Ray, <laughs> and Ray takes a shot in that. That was a thing, right, Ray? Well, a lot of people didn't know yeah. that. So the play was, I mean, it was such a small building that, I mean, I scored from, you know, the corner, the corner of my, uh, my the, the circle in our own end uh, one time. It was a hell of a curveball and a jumper, but... But if the if the draw was one to me, I would. It was two things. I I'd shoot as hard as I could around the boards, and that right winger or left winger, whichever side I was playing, would would right off the draw would just bang go, and then we'd start a four check right off the bat. We'd pressure them early in the game and all that stuff. It was that, or if that shut down, I I could I could drill it on the net from our blue line. So, and I tell the referee, I'm like, hey, be careful here. I said, I, I might be coming up the middle with this shot. How so long did you do that? How long did you like do that, that for? Like a long time? Uh, a long time. <laughs> long time. Oh, or I, yeah. You know what? That would be a forecheck, too. Sometimes I'd just rip it from our own blue line as I as I was exiting the zone and forward. And I love doing the, the scooper, the little scoop, have it jump off the ice and kind of have fun with it with the goalies. <laughs> But once I uh, went in Hartford against Hartford in our own rink, and uh, I I think you might have been around because it's a uh, Rob Brown story, Rob Brown. Max. Oh, and it's not it's yeah. not the it's not the brawl Remember where Knox took part of his hair. He had the <laughs> worst hairdo, and he's trying to have this long hair and and kind of like comb over whatever. He, yeah. He had so plugs. Max he had plugs. Pulls, they were plugs. Pulls I a big batch of his hair out of his head. <laughs> Puts it up, puts it in the training room with that white tape and puts Brown's hair. And it was there for a month. It was there for that a month. That was fridge. So, that was so anyways, fridge. I, I give one up against Hartford in their own end. <laughs> and they score and I come by the, the, the bench. And one guy that could get under my skin was Brown. He just freaking had a way. He was a big mouth and yeah. he just had a way to freaking get under my skin. And yeah. I, yeah, I, remember. I, I don't even know him. He's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, I met him. He's the nicest guy in the world. I go by their bench. He's like, yeah, fucking right, boy. Yeah, <laughs> nice one, nice one, boy. You're fucking nice. You're so fucking. He's the only guy. He go in my face every game and come up to me like, you're so fucking overrated, Bork. I'm like, what the fuck? Who are you? Come on. I'm like, fuck. So, anyways, right after that, 
we got a penalty. And now the puck's in our corner, draws there. I'm like, I get it. I have a little time. And right on the face-off dot, no, the face-off is at the blue line outside our zone, comes back to me. I'm right by our face-off dot in our zone on the right side. And Whitmore's the goalie. And uh, I slap one right down on net. And it's a curveball. It's coming like this, and it curves. And it hits the ice and jumps over his shoulder. And it's like, so now I go by. I said, how'd you like that one, Brownie? (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's so funny that Brown, you're right about him. I hated that kid. Everybody in the league did. I met him in Edmonton. Uh, in, in retirement, and he come up to me and said, hey, Chris, Rob Brown, he was the nicest kid you yeah. ever met. I'm telling you, you would love this kid. Yeah, you hate him dude. when you played against him, but you'd love him. I know you would. Yeah, I, there's I not many guys it. that you, know, you, you hate off the ice, you know? uh, even if you hated him on the ice once you meet him. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like uh, my funny, rendezvous funny stuff. in 87. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, we go up, we play against the uh, Red Army team, two games. And the first night, we're all there, and the players have meetings and dinner and meetings and all that stuff. So we're back in our room around 10.30, but the wives go off for dinner, and they come in at about 2 in the morning. And my wife comes in and uh, says, oh, Ramo, oh, my God. I met I met the nicest girl, and oh, my God, we got you. <laughs> We gotta spend time with them, and I'm like, I'm like, who are you talking about? Oh yeah, when we come back in the summer and all that. I said, who are you talking about? She said, oh, Claude Lemieux's wife. I'm like, oh my <laughs> god. I said that is not happening. That cannot happen. <laughs> yeah, Chris. I said, with Pepe. <laughs> there's no way that is gonna happen. I can't do that. I said, there's no way. I said, hey, we all hate him, and he's. It's a friggin' asshole. So, end up meeting him in the summer and then, you know, becoming friends. But then I had a golf tournament in Montreal and uh, I had like four or five guys from Boston would come down. What the fuck is he doing here? I'm like, guys, I'm like, he's okay. You got to know. He's like, I don't give a shit. I said, hey, what is he doing here? He can't, he can't fucking be here. Right. What are you doing? So then after that, every time we play Montreal, we're playing your buddy tonight. Oh, what are you going to do with Claude after the game? Oh, so, you know. Hey, guys, I got a tea time. As most of you know, I'm a dog person. I have a St. Bernard. Her name is Adele. Why do I feed Adele formula raw? Because I love her. I want to provide her with a healthy well-balanced, locally-sourced diet. A diet that consists of meat, chicken, fish, mixed with fruits and vegetables that her 140 pounds requires. I also feed her Formula Raw because it helps her overall energy, it helps her with allergies, and helps strengthen her overall immune system. Dimitri and Nick at Formula Raw have worked tirelessly over the last 10 years to perfect their recipe, and they've got it because you know how I know? Adele loves it. She never, never misses a meal, and she's a healthy, big, beautiful St. Bernard. 
Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles Podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like, subscribe, and share with a friend.